Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Detour Life. Detour Life is a game changer for both family law professionals and clients alike. Detour Life is an innovative online program which guides clients to easily input and organize the exhaustive document and financial disclosure process and provides professionals with streamlined and secure case management. In addition, Detour Life has comprehensive client onboarding, a secure document repository, income and expense sync, parenting plan agreement features, and much more. I use Detour Life myself, and honestly, one of my favorite features, and one that my clients love as well, is that they can securely link all of their financial accounts directly to the Detour Life platform so that their information is automatically uploaded and updated as time goes on. So whether you're getting a divorce or are a divorce professional, I urge you to check it out yourself. Go to Detour Life, that's D-T-O-U-R dot L-I-F-E, and sign up for their free 14-day trial. Then use code SUSAN20 to get 20% off the cost of subscription. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. For the courts or anybody to believe that just because the relationship ends, that that need for power and control just mysteriously vanishes, actually it intensifies in the majority of cases. I know mine, the the post-separation abuse was worse than the abuse that I suffered during my marriage. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Welcome to today's podcast. I am Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I am joined by a very special guest, Tina Swithin, who I have been watching on Instagram and admiring her message for gosh, at least a year now. And I reached out to her completely cold and said, Hey, would you come on the podcast? And she was extremely gracious and said she'd be pleased to. So Tina, first off, let me say thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Such an important topic. It really is. I just want to mention this is airing on November 1st. We, You and I just had a big conversation about that specific date. Um, sometimes, as I always say, the universe provides and it is perfect that we're able to do this episode on November 1st. And we're going to talk about why, because November is a special month for you. But I do want to let people, I always like to let my listeners know who my guests are, what their expertise is, because I'm very lucky that I'm able to bring them truly some of the top experts in the world, and you are one of them. Um, And on a topic, you know, I've I've had experts on, I had Megan Hunter on recently, Bill Eddy, of course, has been on, I've had a number of experts on high conflict divorce and and divorcing a narcissist, but you're, you're up there, you're, you're one of these people, you're one of the people who has really figured out how to help people through 
what I can tell you as a person who has helped people through the process as a divorce professional, and also someone who has had my own go round in this issue. The advice that Tina has is, is truly invaluable. Um, you are the author of Divorcing a Narcissist, the founder of such a wonderful name, One Mom's Battle, and the High Conflict Divorce Coach Certification Program, which I think is a really important aspect. And I want to talk more about that. Um, and you champion children's rights through your family court advocacy, which is something that we're also going to talk about. But today we're going to talk about something that I told you earlier, our overarching topic, something I don't hear too many people talking about. And so it's why I wanted to do it as our introductory episode. And let me also point out, I've already asked Tina if she'll come back and talk about more things because I think there's so much she has to share. But today we're going to talk about navigating post-separation abuse. No one talks about this. Let's get started with your backstory because as everyone, I think in the divorce world or most everyone who's ever been on the show, there's a reason why you're so passionate about what you do. Yes. I found myself in an incredibly toxic marriage, 2008. Um, I had just delivered my second little girl. I had two, two beautiful little girls and our whole world was now I look back and call it my fake fancy life. And, and in hindsight, I can see that this image that my ex-husband had created, gated community, the fancy cars, this whole lifestyle was all his, his ego. And it was truly, you know, he needed that for survival. And he had kept me out of the finances so much that I had a really rude awakening that we were in debt $1.6 million. I can't even grasp that amount of money. And so I found myself through this series of the IRS coming in and freezing our lives and his world crumbling. And for me, it felt like such a relief that, you know, I've all I want is a, a normal a normal life for my little girls, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and everyone else was exhausting and it wasn't who I was. And so I found myself in a therapist's office, just trying to make sense of, you know, for so many years I had heard everything was my fault, my problem. I was overly emotional, all of these things. Now looking back, I realized I just had emotions and he didn't. <laughs> so that felt overly emotional to him. <laughs> I sat down with a therapist for an hour and a half and pretty much emotionally vomited in her office. And she walked across the room, brought back the DSM, said, I can't diagnose him, but you know, the person you're describing and the situation you're in sounds like domestic violence. And it also, he sounds like a narcissist. And the the naive part of me, I was actually excited. I thought, great, if we have a label, we can fix it. <laughs> it's all fix it? Right. There was now there's a magic wand. <laughs> right. And I actually said that to her. I go, well, what do we do now? Like, how do we fix this? And she's like, you know, looking at me like, oh, honey, <laughs> that just isn't going to happen. And she told me you either accept that this is your life and this is your, you know, how your kids are going to grow up or you get out. And um, 
it took me six months after that to really let, you know, to let that sink in. But back then there were no resources available. No one was talking about this topic there. You know, you couldn't find anything. Support groups didn't exist. I mean, so we filed for divorce in 2009 and I thought, you know, you get all these messages. We leave, you know, you're doing the right thing for your kids by leaving this situation. I ended up in the women's shelter, in the women's shelter where I donated my time and services for many years. So that was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. So I had heard all these messages that I was doing the right thing for my kids by leaving. But what I didn't realize is filing. I always say, you know, the day that we filed for divorce and I got that case number, I also got my own personal terrorist. And um, that's very much what it felt like, you know, because the finances were so, first of all, I was in the dark. I don't know what our financial situation ever really was, um, but he could afford an attorney and I couldn't. So for somebody who is conflict avoidant by nature, to walk into the court system without an attorney. And, you know, and I just felt like I was in Alice in Wonderland, you know, this whole new reality and world. And so that was kind of the the beginning of how it all unfolded. Yeah. And the yeah is, and then 10 years later, you you emerged, right? I mean, that's, I think that says it all. And and my client, I, I had someone on recently who had a seven-year battle in court. And I mentioned at that point that that is an unusual number of years. 10 is life destroying. Yeah. And, you know, there was one year we were in court 13 times just that year alone. You know, early on, I realized the importance of strategy that to the courts, it, it took me two years into that though, you know, two years of, you know, just this, this world that I didn't understand that, you know, going up against his attorneys and being personally attacked. And, you know, when, when you're someone who, you know, values honesty and integrity and all those things to feel constantly under attack, it's soul destroying. And it was, you know, through that, that journey, you know, two full custody evaluations, more mediations that I could count, minors counsel, you know, all of these, these things. And we got to the six year point and the courts finally gave him permanent professional supervised visits. So, and then it was another four years later that I was able to terminate his parental rights, which everyone told me, you know, that'll never happen. It's almost impossible to do in the state of California. And I think my mindset from day one was, I'm not going to listen to the naysayers. I'm not going to allow that in because my kids need me and I just need to keep going forward. You know, you, you have to be realistic about the system. You know, I wasn't in this completely like rose colored glasses <laughs> state of mind, but, you know, just really going, learning the system, really, I would go sit in court and just watch other court cases. I would, I looked like a stalker. I would follow moms into the hallway and say, we need to talk. We have so much in common. You don't even know it. <laughs> And, and started building my little village that way from local moms in my area 
Um, it was about the two year mark where I just felt so frustrated by the system that I felt wasn't prioritizing my kids and child safety. You know, for me, it felt like his parental rights trumped my children's rights to be safe. And um, I started one mom battle. I remember looking at my friend who I'm now married to, I'm remarried, but I remember looking at Glenn and saying, you know, this, I, I feel like the only mom in the world going through this. I can't find any other resources on this. And so I just started a blog, One Mom's Battle. And uh, that was kind of, I never intended to be public for this journey, but it unfolded the way it was supposed to. I believe that. Yeah. Well, and on your journey and with your journey and the sharing of your journey, you have helped. And I can't even imagine how many people, and I know there are people who are listening right now who are hearing what you're saying and saying, oh my God, that's my life. That's what's happening in my life. And that's why I appreciate your sharing your story, both on One Mom's Battle and here and everywhere else that you do, because people do feel so alone during this process and, and through this abuse. And the abuse comes you know, in so many different ways, it comes through both the person who has narcissistic personality disorder, certainly, and in their behaviors, but it also comes through the use and the, the process of getting a divorce and then going through the court system with someone with that disorder. It's their playground. Yeah. It becomes their, their new feed source. It's their stage. And most of them thrive in that environment. I think it was Bill Eddy who said the other day when I was talking to him that in a court hearing where you have someone with NPD and, and the victim of, of narcissistic abuse, it's usually the victim who looks slightly crazed or more than slightly crazed in a courtroom. And the narcissist often comes across as very calm and very in control and very with it because it's so crazy making, as you said earlier. So, but what the, the other thing I think that you've pointed out here is that it doesn't stop just because the divorce happens just because you get to the, I called it earlier, the banging of the gavel, the the ink is dried on your judgment. People I know all the time say, Oh, I've made it through. It's going to stop now. And life is going to be normal. And you point out there's post divorce abuse. So how do you define that? How do you, uh, how did that come about that you, you know, you coined the term? Regardless of if you leave the narcissist or if they leave you and then they want to get back together and you turn them down, whatever it is, especially if they have abandonment issues in their past, that divorce filing triggers something in them. And when I, when we look at domestic violence, it's about power and control that those are the, the driving forces and for the courts or anybody to believe that just because the relationship ends, that that need for power and control just mysteriously vanishes. Actually, it intensifies in the majority of cases. I know mine, the, the post separation abuse was worse than the abuse that I suffered during my marriage. And then you've got the added component during the marriage. He wanted nothing to do with the kids. So I had, I was able to shelter them. I was able to protect them 
the post-separation abuse, he knows that that is my jugular, that, that that is the number one way to hurt me. And so the kids become weapons and pawns and the main weapon in all of this. And so during the post-separation, you don't have the ability to protect protect your kids. You know, they're at the, you're at the mercy and they're at the mercy of the court system. And, you know, it was a few years ago, reading different things online about this is the reality for so many that post-separation is a lot of times worse than the domestic violence. And so we just started, um, gathering different components to it that were the same thread in everybody's story, whether it be the financial abuse, the legal abuse, fighting for 50-50 custody. And then once they receive it, they discard the kids. You know, they, they never wanted to be a part of their lives in the first place. It's only when the camera's rolling or when there's an audience that they can perform for um, or photos for Instagram or whatever it is. Usually, you know, once they, they secure that, they discard them with the new feed supply or with their parents or whatever that childcare providers. And so these patterns that I watched in not only my own case, but in all of my clients, we created the post-separation abuse wheel, which is a breakdown piece by piece. It's basically the narcissist playbook is the easy way to reference it. <laughs> if you have that wheel, it pretty much, uh, you know, will give you validation for what you're going through um, and your life. And it's on postseparationabuse.com in case anybody is interested in seeing what your life looks like on a piece of paper. <laughs> well, that's actually, I, I will definitely link to that in the show notes. And that sounds like a wonderful resource. And, you know, that is if, if for a beacon of hope for those who are listening, who are caught up in this, that is something to understand about narcissists is once you do understand their patterns that's, that's your path to freedom right. or that's your path, at least to maybe not freedom. I think that's maybe overstating it, but, um, that is your path to managing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, it's the validation, just like when my therapist told me he's a narcissist and then I started researching what that means. And, you know, that validation is your first step towards radical acceptance that, hey, this is what the problem is, you know, and helping someone to articulate it. I know that's, for me, what the post-separation abuse wheel really was, was giving people words and, and ways to articulate what they were going through. And the number of people who write me and say, I took this into my attorney and I showed him, this is exactly what is happening. And, and even the attorney was like, no, that's it. That's what you're going through. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point because I always say this, I went to law school over 30 years ago, practice for 30 years. Nobody gave me any training on dealing with high conflict personalities, people with personality disorders. I had to go find it just like everybody else did. You know, the other thing that I think is really significant, and I want to highlight in something that you just said, combined with what you were telling about your own story, people think that when they realize that they are dealing with someone with narcissistic personality disorder that, okay, now we know what it is. I'm going to fix it, or there must be a path to fix it. The difference here with what we might normally do, which is try to fix things is you have to adjust your behaviors 
It's you're never going never. to change the narcissist right. ever. Right. You have to change how you deal and yeah. how you manage and how you approach the narcissist. Hey, it's Kate Anthony over at the Divorce Survival Guide. Susan said it would be okay to pop in and talk to you really quickly about my new program, the Divorce Survival Program. See what I did there? Look, once you've decided to get a divorce, you may feel a sense of relief. The decision is finally made. But at the same time, you're likely feeling a sense of foreboding of what's ahead. There's a huge mountain left to climb, and if you've never gotten divorced before, especially divorced with kids, there's a lot that you don't know. You need a deep dive into the divorce process, STAT. That's why you're listening to this podcast right now. That's also why I created the Divorce Survival Program. In the Divorce Survival Program, you'll learn how to have the most difficult conversations of your life with your husband, your children, friends, families, and even nosy neighbors. You'll learn how to set healthy boundaries in high and low conflict divorces. You'll learn how the legal and financial processes really work, whether you should or can seek support, and you'll be taken through the process of emotional healing. And of course, you'll learn how to start dating on the other side. In this one-of-its-kind program, I bring together top experts from around the country, including the amazing Susan Guthrie, who share their wisdom in exclusive interviews not available anywhere else. And of course, there are over 20 videos in which I speak directly to you, answering your most pressing questions. The Divorce Survival Program is a self-paced online program available for purchase now at divorcesurvivalprogram.com. And if you use the code SUSAN, you'll get $50 off the already super low price now through the end of the year. Again, that's divorcesurvivalprogram.com and use the code SUSAN when you check out. And now back to Susan's amazing episode. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her special guest, Tina Swithin, with more on One Mom's Battle. The first step towards change is recognizing that, hey, we have a problem and we need to start talking about it. And so that's really the goal this year is to create awareness that children are not being prioritized and child safety is not being prioritized but that we have research out there to help explain and help the judges and other professionals to really start prioritizing kids. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Don't Make Halloween Scary for Your Kids, Tips on Co-Parenting for Holidays in a special solo episode with Susan. Trick-or-treating as a family. Definitely, you know, takes a high level of cooperation. It takes two parents who are able to set aside differences and come together without conflict for the benefit of their children. But I have had families agree that they will join together and trick-or-treat as a family each year. And now we return to today's show. One thing I wanted to, to go over with you because I was on your website and you you do post-divorce abuse coaching. I want everyone to know that I am always talking about the importance of getting a coach if you're in a high conflict 
situation. And you have these wonderful questions for people on your website. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to ask you some of those questions and get your insights um, and maybe some tips for listeners. So I think this first one is, is really key. Are you removing yourself from the conflict at every opportunity? For me, that was year two of the battle. Because when you're constantly under attack, when you're trying to defend your honor, who you are, and and I remember reading the, the declarations he would write and thinking, I don't even know who this person is that he's describing. This is not me. Choosing your battles wisely. And, and really, for me, it was getting to know the court system and, and looking at it through a different lens, through the lens of the judge doesn't know either of us. You know, choosing my battles wisely, really being clear in the things that the court sees on a daily basis. Because let's, you know, face it, for most of us, it doesn't even register on the scale of what the court deems as, you know, concerning, because they get some real doozies <laughs> that come across yes. their courtrooms. And so, you know, re really accepting that there's a different scale that the court is looking at this on, you know, my scale of what is important is very different than theirs and getting clear in that. And, and knowing, you know, I used to ask myself, is this going to matter in a year? Is this going to matter in five years or even in six months? And, and really using that to determine where I was going to jump in and say, hey, you know, I don't agree. This is not, you know, you have to let so many things go in this, in this battle, unfortunately. Well, and with dealing with a narcissist, they're mode of communication is attack, right? right? right. So we are human beings. When we are attacked, our first feeling is I'm going to defend myself and I'm going to point out all the 16 ways that what you just said are wrong. And, you know, we get caught in that cycle, but for a narcissist, all that does is feed them. Absolutely. And I used to do that the first couple of yeah. years I'd sit down, I'd write, you know, he'd write eight email or eight paragraphs. I'd write 16, trying to explain why he was wrong in those eight paragraphs. <laughs> and, and, it's crazy making. And when you're already feeling so beaten down and then you're in that mode of constantly defending yourself, you know, it, picking your battles is so critical. Yeah. And, and here's a pro tip to everyone listening. If you are writing emails to your ex that are more than a couple of paragraphs, you're caught up in this toxic cycle. It, it, it's a sure sign. And you look like part of the problem to the court. That's where for the court, it's so easy and lazy for them to just label everyone as high conflict. It's so important to take yourself out of that equation so that, you know, keep letting them show who they are. But you're, you know, I used to run, my mentality was I'm writing to the judge. I'm not writing to my ex-husband because when I was writing to him, my feelings about him, my knowledge of who he was behind that mask would come through in that communication. And so I kept a post-it on my computer that said to judge <laughs> CCX. And that was the mentality that I wrote every email after a while, once I started understanding um, the importance of strategy and that they don't know me either. And for all I know, I'm appearing to be the unstable one by responding to all of this. 
Yeah. So there's a gold nugget, everybody. <laughs> Put the post a note on your computer and write those emails or that correspondence as if you're writing it to the judge. I think that is so brilliant and will change the entire tone of that communication. And by the way, it may end up being in front of a judge. I mean, you have to look at everything when you are in this type of toxic relationship back and forth cycle, you have to consider that anything and everything is under a microscope and may be viewed in a courtroom at some point in time. Yeah. So you need to, you need to put yourself in the best light possible. Yeah. And that one thing where you slip up and write what you really feel or tell that person off will be the thing that ends up out of, you know, 100% of your communication, that 1% is going to end up blown up on a big screen in the courtroom. And there's your case. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> you're going to see it in huge letters right. on a screen in a courtroom with a laser pointer yes. and an attorney right. highlighting it. Yes. Yes. And it will happen. It I, I, it's yeah. going to happen. So, you know, another thing that you talk about, and I think this is really important because as you're caught up in that toxic courtroom battle, the back and forth, you, you ask the question on the website, are you preparing to meet with a child custody evaluator, minors counsel, or a co-parenting therapist? And the reality is you're likely, if you're in a high conflict case, you're likely going to meet with one of them or all of them. And, and so your presentation is, uh, you're under a microscope, um, just as much as they are. And, you know, we, we just recently saw in the Gabby Petito case, how a perpetrator will be so cool and collective. And those of us who have been through abuse, you know, we, don't appear to be the most stable at times. And when you're watching the other party really, you know, soak up the attention and thrive in that spotlight, it makes us even, you know, unravel even more. And so that that presentation is such a critical piece because you're under a microscope with the court, but once you get in front of one of those professionals, I mean, we're talking the most high-powered microscope you could ever imagine. They are zooming in on every aspect of the case. I love that you mentioned the Gabby Petito case because I really, when I watched that video of the stop where somebody had called in that they had seen him slapping Gabby, Brian slapping Gabby, and then you watch the video, it's so classic, the behaviors. He's you know, oh, you know how women are and she gets crazy and she's crying and she's, you know, the one who seems unstable and is having issues. I mean, truly classic behavior and sadly, because it it worked for him in that particular case. No. And if anything positive comes from that, I hope that video becomes a teaching tool for anyone in a position of power, because it, it was a, a, you know, unfortunately, a national or international lesson on what domestic violence looks like. Yeah. And I know her family, I just saw a quote, um, I think it was yesterday in the news that her family was saying that if, if nothing else good can come out of what's happened, they are happy that they are receiving this outpouring from victims around the world saying they saw themselves in Gabby and are encouraged by what has happened to seek 
help. But that's, you know, that's another point for people to, who are listening to understand you used the word abuse and domestic violence interchangeably here. And that is because they are the same thing in this instance. And it may be your narcissist may never hit you, but you are in an abusive relationship. Absolutely. And, and that's even being, we're doing this work in this industry. It took me a really long time to admit that I was a victim of domestic violence. I've never had a black eye. I've never had a broken bone. Um, but you know, someone blocking you in a doorway, someone gaslighting you, you know, all of those things. And I, I feel so much hope because we are talking about this topic and, you know, the media is starting to pick up these stories. And so for the first time in a very long time, I have hope because, you know, these are words that we're using um, in everyday language and communication. It's people are feeling more empowered to talk about what they've been through and that domestic violence is not just physical abuse. And those other scars from the emotional, psychological abuse take a lot longer to heal. And that's a fact, you know, that is, that's not just something that we're saying. It truly is harder to heal. You know, one of the changes that is coming about that I was very heartened to see recently is my former state of residence and practice, Connecticut recently passed an amendment to their um, statutes on intimate partner violence and restraining orders, allowing for a restraining order to be issued Um, when there's evidence of coercive control, not just physical harm, imminent physical harm. Um, And I'm hoping other states around the country, you know, adopt that approach because coercive control is really what we're talking about here. You know, that's why you had a 10 year battle to get out from under it. Yeah, absolutely. So one other thing you ask on your website, and I don't want to lose sight of this because there are other victims in this. Um, and that is the children. You mentioned you have two beautiful daughters. The question on your website is, are you seeking tools to help your children cope and to weather the storm? That is the other battle that a, a victim will, you know, go through is that it's not just them and they are the warrior for their children, but they also have to support and help their children. Cause those children have in many cases, as you pointed out, they have to spend time with their other parents. Yes. And it's, gosh, my, my girls were two and four when this battle started for us. And the hardest part of this journey has been trying to help them navigate this. And, you know, at such a young age where they don't have the life experiences, they don't have the terminology, they don't have the toolbox. And so for us, Aligning with a really good child therapist early on was so important. And I took a different approach than most people. And I I think that most people run into the child therapist and they want to, you know, sell them on their side of the story. It's a natural, you know, we want them to know how bad this other person is. And, And I didn't take that approach. I went in and I said, you know, he has his side of the story. I have mine. That's not what's important here. I am looking for someone who can be an advocate and a voice for my daughters, but more than anything, someone to help them fill their toolboxes. 
because I don't have all of the answers. And, you know, I found it was so difficult when the girls would come home and talk about some of the things and, you know, how to talk about these things without ever badmouthing their father. You know, that was very important to me is for them to, you know, have a relationship with him and understand who he was at their own pace and at their own level and, and having the therapist on board to help them with that, you know, but for me, it, you get on this roller coaster where everything is normal in your home and then they go over there and then they come back and there's a 48 hour period of time where, you know, they've been like little pressure cookers over there because it's not a safe environment for them to emote and, and, you know, share what's happening for them inside. And so it builds and it builds and then they come home and then we get the brunt of that. And I tell parents that as hard as that is, you have to look at it as a blessing because they feel safe to do that with you and they need that outlet. And, and so for me, it really became helping them understand healthy versus unhealthy behaviors completely separate from their dad you know, just in general, what are gut instincts? What are boundaries? You know, it's a red flag. If you set a boundary and somebody bulldozes right through your boundary, yeah, <laughs> you know, teaching them all of those life lessons that I wish I would have learned as a young, you know, woman. And, and I remember my daughter coming home from first grade and saying, mom, um, so-and-so did this and it was a red flag. And I said, you know, <laughs> parenting win over here. Yes, that is a huge red flag in a person. And, and so, and they started connecting the dots on their own, that dad's behavior is not healthy without me ever having to say anything, but, but having a support, you know, system in place that whether it's a therapist, you know, and there's a lot of people who their narcissistic ex won't let their kids get into therapy because that's a threat. So I tell mm -hmm. moms, even if you can book an appointment with a child therapist and just you go alone and talk to them, how do you fill your toolbox so that you can show up and be the strongest parent you can be for them and help them navigate these things? So that whole aspect of the journey, I could talk about for hours. <laughs> That's a, yeah. it's a big one because our, our job, you know, we want to get them through this as unscathed as possible. And and scathing happens, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> but but I, I think your point is, is really important that even if you you can't get your children into a therapist, into a child specialist, you can fill your toolbox to support yeah. your child and never forget that they are watching us Absolutely. and are going to model themselves after what, how we behave. Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, Michelle Dempsey Multak, my friend said on an episode where she was here, you know, she wakes up every day and wants to be the person she wants her daughter to grow up to be. And that's who she tries to put out in the world. And I don't think we can ever forget the importance of that. And so how we deal with the other parent, how we set boundaries, how we, you know, handle red flags, that is what they will learn. And so to some degree, your daughters have had a huge blessing in life to learn all of this as they go into an adulthood where they will hopefully not, they will recognize red flags before they get into these relationships, as opposed to not having 
these tools given to them. And then history tends to repeat itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, it was so important to remind myself that, you know, yes, I would love to buy a bubble and put them inside and give them this idyllic, you know, that's not reality. And it was important for me to remember that they had their own parallel journeys to go through and that I, you know, I needed to show up and be mom and, and, you know, show them what healthy looks like and that mom can go take a time out or that, you know, (laughs) mom doesn't always have all the answers, but we're going to tackle this together. You know, all those things, they, they've been through a lot, but they're going to rock life no matter what comes at them. And, you know, yeah, I would have loved to protect them from having to learn lessons in resilience that early, But again, their own parallel journeys, it's not for me to say that that didn't have incredible purpose somewhere in their life. Yeah. And they had a mom who was there and supported them and, you know, they weren't alone either. So, so through that journey. So I want to make sure before we hit the end of the episode, we we mentioned at the top of the episode, November, this is airing on November 1st. November is a special month. So I'm going to let you explain that. Why is it special and all of the exciting things that you are doing in the month of November? Post-separation abuse is just a natural progression from domestic violence. You know, it, it becomes the platform, the court system. And so last year... I, after many years of doing this advocacy work and and helping people navigate this, I reached a point where I just was so frustrated. And it was September of 2020. We had purchased an RV because of the pandemic. And so I said, I am going to coin November Family Court Awareness Month, um, along with a, a friend volunteer. We came together We booked eight media stops across the country from California to North Carolina. We had speaking events. We had just some of the most inspirational speakers in domestic violence. We had moms who have um, been failed by the system and their children have been murdered um, as a result of failure to protect within the courts. Powerful, powerful journey across the U.S. and, and talking to judges and other advocates and really putting this on the map last year. And so this is our second year. And right now we have almost 100. By the time this airs, it'll be over 100 mayors and other elected officials who have declared, proclaimed uh, Family Court Awareness Month in their communities or in their entire state or in their counties. And so it's really exciting because for me, the first step towards change is recognizing that, hey, we have a problem and we need to start talking about it. And so that's really the goal this year is to create awareness that children are not being prioritized and child safety is not being prioritized, but that we have research out there to help explain and help you know, the, the judges and other professionals to really start prioritizing kids. So that's kind of our mission. We're going to be talking a lot about 
the ACE study, the Saunders study, the Santa Clara University study talking about high conflict individuals in the family court system. You know, there's some fantastic research out there. And Joan Meyer's work, she is one of my heroes, the National Family Violence Law Center. So we want to shine a spotlight on what all of these researchers are doing, because I do believe that's a missing piece to child safety. It's such an important thing. And your advocacy is is truly inspiring. How can people find out more about Family Court Awareness Month? FamilyCourtAwarenessMonth.com. That is where to find us. (laughs) We made it super easy. I love super easy. (laughs) And I absolutely am going, we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. I also, Tina, want to make sure that everybody knows how to get in touch with you. You've mentioned one of your websites, but please, you know, let's go go through all the different ways that people can get in touch with you and the different ways you help people. Yeah. Um, my main website is onemomsbattle.com. We have tons of resources on there. I also run a coach training program. So I am training other people to do the coaching work that I've been doing for so many years because I'm transitioning into advocacy but I want to leave people in good hands. So I have an amazing eight week program. We probably need you on there as an instructor. (laughs) And, uh, and so that would be the other way to connect with me. We're on Instagram. We're on, we have a huge Facebook community, 70,000 people, um, YouTube. We have all all of it out there. Yeah, you are not alone. So that is one mom's battle has turned into 70,000 people on Facebook and around the country. There's a million resources and you are so inspiring and helping so many people. I, I truly appreciate your taking the time and coming to talk with my listeners and absolutely want to have you back on. I know that we have so many things that we can talk about, but Tina, thank you so much. I encourage everybody to reach out for the resources. Again, everything will be in the show notes and and really, truly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.